Welcome to Pathways to Rural Prosperity, the podcast that explores the inspiring stories, strategies, and insights behind the growth and success of rural communities. We're excited to present our spinoff series, Espresso with Entrepreneurs, where we're brewing up captivating conversations with remarkable entrepreneurs who are making a real difference in their rural communities. Whether you're a budding entrepreneur, an advocate for rural development, or simply curious about the transformative power of community-driven initiatives, Espresso with Entrepreneurs will inform, inspire, and equip you on your own journey towards a brighter, more prosperous future. Join me, Leanne Seiler, as we embark on this adventure, coffee in hand, uncovering the stories that shape our rural communities and exploring the many pathways to rural prosperity. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Dave Hill. Dave's the president of the Mid-America Bank in Baldwin City, Kansas, with branches in Wellsville, Lawrence, and Gardner. That's certainly a full plate on its own, but there's more. It's his dedication to building the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Kansas. Those of us at Network Kansas are fortunate to call Dave a friend, and we're aware of all the incredible ways he has supported the e-community efforts in Douglas County, and also the way his spirit of entrepreneurship has impacted Baldwin City and other Northeast Kansas communities. You're in for a treat because today we're going to visit about his work and also about his own personal entrepreneurial journey. Welcome, Dave. Thank you so much. It's great to be here talking about these topics. They're some of my favorite topics, of course, banking, entrepreneurship, small communities. And of course, I do have a love and passion for e-community. It's done so much for the whole state of Kansas, but particularly, of course, I've only worked in Douglas County, but it's been fantastic for Douglas County. Wonderful. And we are so excited to have you on the podcast today. So have you got your coffee in hand? I got it. Our first question is an easy one. What's your favorite kind of coffee? I've been drinking Folgers coffee for about 40 years, ever since I started working in the banking career industry. So I've always been a Folgers guy. Come to work. That's what I started drinking. If I really want a treat, I'll get an Americano from some coffee shop. That would be my favorite. Here at our house, we're doing Folgers half-calf now. And actually, I feel like a bit of a fraud today because if you could see my coffee cup, it's not filled with coffee. It's not anything stronger either, but it's honey and lemon because I worked at the New Mexico State Fair this past week, and I have a bit of a sore throat today. (laughs) I'm excited to chat with you and learn a little bit more about you. When I started compiling a list of people to interview for this podcast, truly, your name came up over and over. Again, I'm really excited about this. Let's get started. Can you tell us a little bit more about you, where you grew up, what sparked your interest in entrepreneurship, and who your role models were? Sure. That's a good question. Okay. Yeah. I grew up in Eudora, Kansas. My parents were school teachers, so we lived a few other communities, but Eudora was a primary place where I grew up and graduated from. Both my parents went to Baker University here in Baldwin City. They met there, and they both came from really hardworking families that didn't have a lot of cash. They were a typical couple at that time. They got out of college, no money, nobody in the family had any money. And so they worked hard and they pretty much installed that work ethic in all three of their children, my brother and sister and I. We were just taught to work. And if we wanted praise or compliments, the only thing we get complimented for was working. We worked, we learned to do a lot of different little jobs. We probably all started getting jobs when we were 13, 14 years old. And for me, work was never work. I've always enjoyed every job I've had, whether it was mowing grass or working at a gas station or working at Montgomery Wards or whatever. Everything I did as far as work has been enjoyable to me. And then as far as role models, I feel like my dad was an extremely successful person that came from nothing, truly a self-made person. And that was highly motivating to all three of us kids to know where he came from 
being a person who was raised by his grandparents in extreme poverty. And to be honest with you, two weeks before he started his freshman year of college at Baker, he was driving a truck, a rock quarry truck, and probably thought that was his life destination. But some friends talked him into going to college and it changed his life trajectory. And he and my mom had a great life together because of education and just hard work that they put out. So my dad was definitely a role model. About 10 years in Norton, Kansas, working at a bank out there. And I met two really inspirational people. One later became a partner in our bank here in Baldwin, Bill Sharp. The other was Norm Nelson, who I ended up working for at the First State Bank in Norton. But bottom line, I got the privilege of sitting next to Norman Nelson, who was definitely a self-made multimillionaire, very hardworking, very ambitious, very much a visionary. And he was a farmer, rancher. There are a lot of bankers that own farms, but there are not a lot of farmers that buy banks. Norman was the exception. And he had so much success in his farming operations that he, yes, bought the bank in Norton and privilege of sitting in an office next to him. I got to listen and learn. And the things that I think he taught me were, he didn't really tell me this is how we need to do things, but I saw his ambition and his work ethic. And then I also saw how he did numbers. If I was doing an investment and I thought one was good, he would do a hundred deals. In other words, I won't say what he was doing, but he was a very ambitious businessman and he would just never did normal transactions. He did things at a large scale. And of course, when you do that, uh, you have large success or large failure, but he was a very successful person is all I can say. And nobody wins a hundred percent of time in business or life. You got to just win more than you lose. And that's what he did. He was good at it. Bill Sharp, who was a customer of our bank, ran a very successful business there. And I learned so much from him. I like to think of him as a second father. My real dad was obviously a great person, but maybe somewhat limited on the ability to help me do the things I wanted to do for financial reasons. But Bill was definitely a true friend and a great partner. And it's easy to have a partner when everything goes great, but you find out more about your partners when things don't go great. So I can tell you that when we had one problem in particular, voted that this is how we address it. And that's what we did. And Bill was great with it. We took care of the problem. We resolved it and moved on. And I'm just saying, there are a lot of sayings that I use every day of my life. And 90% of them came from Bill. And there's just, I can't think of one right offhand, but they're funny, but they're also so true. I'll give an example. He'd say, you you can't ever pay your good people too much or your poor people too little. So just common sense, things like that. And we had a great relationship. He mentored me. He didn't even know it, but he was mentoring me for, we were in banking partnership together about 10 years, then he passed away. He made a big impact. And to be honest with you, he changed my family's trajectory for many years to come because I went from being a W-2 wage earning bank employee to where I am today. And I'll tell that story a little later. I love the way that you pointed out that even in the failures, you learn something. And that seems to be something that is a thread through everybody's lives. Once in a while, we all make mistakes, but when you can learn from them, those are the best kind. Take a minute or two to tell us about the history and growth of the bank you have now. In 1995, I moved from Norton, Kansas to Baldwin City. And pretty much I bought into an insurance agency. So I bought half of an insurance agency with a guy that I've known for a lot of years. And it really wasn't that I ever wanted to sell insurance. 
but it was a little hard to tell my wife that I'm leaving a secure W-2 job with the bank to go out and be 100% self-employed, no income guarantees. So I bought half this insurance agency so that I'd have a check every month coming in. So that was my safety net, you might say. At that time, I started a mortgage business up. I was a mortgage broker from August 1 of 1995 was the exact date. And I started that mortgage brokerage business. It was called Hillco Mortgage Company. Not too creative. Dave Hill, Hillco Mortgage. But started that business. And my goal was to do 10 loans a month, roughly make 1000 a loan, roughly make 10000 a month, 120000 a year. That would seem like a good goal for me. By the way, I'm very goal-driven. I always have a goal for everything. I set goals every year, personally and professionally. I highly recommend that. But bottom line, so I got my mortgage business up and going, ran it from 95 to 2008, and merged it in with the bank in 2008. But for the first few years, I actually had more luck than I anticipated. So it really went well. I have to tell my loan officers that started the business in August 95, closed my first loan December 95. But really by spring of 96, had things moving along pretty well. And I was hitting my 10 loans a month and started building the business up. I eventually had four mortgage offices, Topeka, Lawrence, Overland Park, and Baldwin City, and got things going pretty well. And at one time, believe it or not, we closed over 100 loans a month. We had some good success. I was running an insurance agency, run the mortgage business. I wasn't running the insurance agency. I was owning the insurance agency. I should clarify that. Running the mortgage business, working a lot there, but I could see a really big need or opportunity for a bank. I kept coming up with a lot of construction loan opportunities and really didn't have a good niche or good market to fill that with. Then I later learned that there was a bank for sale in North Central Kansas, $8 million bank. The price on it was $800,000. And that's when I went to my partner or friend, Bill, and said, hey, Bill, here's this opportunity. And by the way, I've talked these people into selling it for $800,000. They'll carry us on 480. We need 320 down. I've got 160. Would you match me with 160? And would you be my partner? And blah, blah, blah. And I said, Bill, by the way, I've been working on all these projections and I've got all these ideas. Let me send them to you. Then you can let me know if you're interested. Bill, like the true entrepreneur that he was, he said, Dave, let me make sure I'm clear. Are you putting everything you've got into this? And I said, yeah, this is everything I've got, $160,000, everything. So he goes, hey, that's good enough for me. I'll send you a check for $160,000. We took a couple other people from Norton into the transaction with us. Warren Bullock and John McClymont were also partners. John was our attorney. He got in the transaction and he still is our attorney and great friend. And he owns, I believe, about 5% of our bank. And then Warren Bullock owns 10%. So they've both been in it with us since 1997. As I mentioned, Bill did pass away in 2008. And we did a buyout. One thing for all you entrepreneurs, one thing I've always learned over the years, you plan your exit the day you get into business with your partners. You don't go into business with somebody, then in 20 years, you figure out how to do an exit. You have a plan up front. So sure, we had T-Man life insurance, and we took out a big policy on Bill because we needed his financial strength to get my application approved. My application would not have been approved without his financial strength. That's just the bottom line. His financial strength got us approved with regulatory people, and I was the working backbone, and he was the financial backbone. He knew nothing about banking, and I didn't have a big net worth. Bottom line, when Bill passed away, we had a million-dollar life insurance policy on him. 
he put $160,000 into our investment. And when he passed away, we had a formula for the buyout and we owed him $1.6 million. His 160 went up tenfold in a matter of 11 years. So pretty good investment. We bought him out. The rest is history, I guess. But Bill was definitely very supportive. And he was just a great guy. And he was never a guy that when we had a problem, which we occasionally did, that's just business, he was never scolding or mad or whatever. He just knew that there are problems in business and just deal with it the best you can. And that's exactly what we've always done. We've always dealt with our problems. You don't bury anything and you do deal with it and you try to be fair and equitable to everybody and it typically works. So anyway, those are my mentors, Charles Hill, Bill Sharp, Norm Nelson, three great guys. Do you think of yourself as an entrepreneur or maybe share your thoughts on that age old question? Are entrepreneurs born or are they made? That's a great question. I'd never really thought about it, but I think there's some genetic makeup when you're born that does obviously help. But I am also convinced that anybody can be an entrepreneur, but it does take tremendous commitment. If you're worried about the number of hours you work or just the challenges that you'll face every day, then I would encourage you to stay with the W-2 job. Uh, because I have never kept track of my hours, didn't start out and still don't today. I think you have to be 110% committed. You have to be so committed. You have to put a lot of work and energy into it. Personally, my business is always on my mind. And the other day I left one of our banks after talking to somebody, I drove out thinking, gosh, Dave, you're never satisfied. And I thought to myself, you're right. I'm never satisfied. And if I ever get satisfied, that's when I should retire. Because you always need to be trying to make your business the best. It's all about constant learning, constant education, and constant growth. And in fact, I probably haven't said it for a while, but every now and then I'll tell our leadership or management team here at the bank that every year we're projecting for growth. We always have growth in our pattern. And I've told people, directing this to my heirs and different people that are on our leadership team, that hey, the day you decide you don't want to grow, that is the day you should just sell your business. I think if you're in life, to me, you're either going forward or backwards, and there's no such thing as just standing still, staying in place. So always trying to move forward, do better, grow. And the day you want to just stand still, that's the day you You've done so much for entrepreneurs in your region and really for all of Kansas. Your commitment and support of Network Kansas has just been phenomenal. On behalf of Eric, Christy, Jen, and our whole company, we thank you. I'm curious, why do you think, and you partially answered this a minute ago, but why do you think you're so passionate about building and supporting the entrepreneurial ecosystem in and around Douglas County? And how do we inspire that passion in others? In addition to this podcast, of course. Going from a W-2 job like I had to being totally self-employed has drastically changed my life for the better. And I'm talking, sure, financially, I'm just talking about the way I was able to get my kids educated and for the future that they're going to have or I'm going to have what they're going to have. It's been life-changing to the point where it's not even imaginable to me. But bottom line, I haven't done all of this for the money. Sure, we've made a lot of money. But really, I do it because of the passion and the joy that I get out doing it. I'm not going to work for money just to stack money up, but I am going to work for passion and purpose. And this is my passion and therefore my purpose in life. I really enjoy it. The day it becomes work, I'm going to retire. 
And that's not on the calendar right now. When I look at these economic development programs, whether it be Network Kansas or the Grow Kansas program, I've been doing this 40 years. And I'm just saying these are the best programs. I think it's a good time. There's a lot of money and opportunity out there for entrepreneurship. I do want to emphasize that being an entrepreneur, you really need to have your personal financial house in order to do entrepreneurship. When I started my mortgage business in 1995, I made sure that I had my personal debt load very low because I wasn't making a lot of money. I didn't know how much money I was going to make. I didn't know what I was going to make. So I made sure that I had plenty of working capital because that's where businesses succeed and fail is adequacy of working capital or operating money. So I made sure I had plenty of operating money. And I also made sure that when I started my business, I didn't incur any debt. If some guy came by to sell me a copy machine, I either bought and paid for it or I didn't get it. And I just didn't need the payment because I didn't know what my future held. You have to be very committed. You have to be personally get your financial house in order. Every now and then I hear people that they don't have their financial house personally in order. They get frustrated because they think they can't be an entrepreneur because nobody wants to bank with them. Bottom line, that's not the case. All banks that I know want to make entrepreneurship and business loans, but you have to put yourself in the position to be successful. And the way you do that is get your personal life intact financially. And then of course, then you go work on the business. Excellent advice. I mentioned that your name comes up over and over when our Network Kansas staff talks about difference makers in Kansas. And I've heard both Eric and Jen talk about the fantastic brewery that you had a part in starting in Baldwin City. Actually, I think some of our partner communities had a meeting there just a few months ago. I am completely sure that I need to take a field trip as well. But would you tell us that story as well as any other initiatives you've been involved in that have affected the quality of life in the community for others? Myself and a few other people as a group have done quite a bit of investment in downtown Baldwin. The brewery you mentioned is really my sister and I. We have, I don't know how many properties, but quite a few, probably 15-ish. But I will say downtown Baldwin only, we have 11 properties, myself and a couple other guys, and then my sister, et cetera, et cetera. And the bottom line, it started out probably about 10 years ago, where we had one of our main corners in downtown Baldwin. The city, rightfully so, was condemning a building. And all we could think of was, if they condemn it, tear it down, we can't remember the last time somebody built a brand new building in downtown Baldwin. So that's going to be a vacant lot, a little bit of a potential eyesore at a kind of a main intersection. We convinced the city to give us the building rather than demo it. And then we budgeted for about $450,000 worth of renovation, myself and a couple other guys here in Baldwin. We spent $600,000. So we budgeted four fifty. dollars We spent $600,000 but we totally renovated old building. Gosh, it was 3,500 square feet brick building on two levels. So 7,000 square feet. It's totally redone in totally excellent shape. Put it on the historic register, got some tax credits back. In fact, we took that $600,000 down by about 150,000 through tax credits. So we ended up out of pocket about 450 into the transaction. Right back where you started. You ever thought of that? That was our first project. And We've never missed a month's rent on the commercial part of that for 10 years. And the upstairs apartments, four loft apartments are just beautiful. Sure, we've had people come and go, but it is highly sought after property. Bottom line, we took a really bad property with a challenge and we made it work. And we loved doing it because we beautified our community. We preserved the building. And 
we feel like it was a turning point for our downtown to reinvest money back downtown. And sure, the same group of guys, Alan Wright, Rick Dietz, myself, the three of us, we probably own four or five buildings in downtown Baldwin. And all we've ever done is all of us, my sister, the Dietzes, the Wrights, we're just real estate people. We do not own any businesses in downtown Baldwin, and we're going to keep it that way. So we buy buildings, we rehab them, we rent them out. And then in a perfect world, our tenant becomes so successful, they buy us out. I can't tell you all the stories because you don't have much time, but we've had some really fun success stories, helping people get into new buildings and so forth. That's been good. Now, the brewery, it originally was a grocery store in 1970. Then it became an antique store. And then, yeah, sure, my sister and I bought it. And we don't have the understanding of a brewery or the passion of a brewery or bar and grill. We don't understand that, but we think we're good at judging people. We have a guy in our community, Corey Venable. He's got a great name, graduated from Baldwin High, graduated from Baker, worked in a college bar here in Baldwin. And he's just got a personality that if you don't have anybody to have a beer with at five o'clock, you can go to the brewery and talk to Corey. You're going to have a fun conversation. He's perfect at his job. The brewery is all of Corey's deal. He owns 100% of it. Basically, my sister and I just set the transaction up where we finished the building out. We bought the equipment. We put furniture fixtures. Everything that's tangible, we own. And we wanted it that way because this is his first business venture. We want him to keep his money and working capital tied up in operating money, working capital. Anytime you're starting a business, the most important thing is to have adequate working capital. And then you can look at different things like furniture, fixtures, and equipment. That is a different return on investment. Real estate is your slowest return. It's a good, solid return, and it's a pretty safe investment, but it is your slowest return. When you're starting a business out, that needs to be your last purchase. And to be honest with you, we've got a 10-year lease with Corey, and he also has an option to buy the building. And truthfully, we're going to sell it to him for what we have in it. He's got it tied up for 10 years, and we just want him to be successful. His success will bring people to our community and further enhance our downtown. So- I really feel like we really turned the corner in our downtown. I hope you can come to Baldwin City, check it out sometime. It's a beautiful downtown. Our city had the vision and leadership to do a new streetscape about 20 years ago. So we have a beautiful streetscape, sidewalks, lighting. Of course, we've got brick streets. And the other thing is we have no vacancies in our downtown or on our highway. We have a very high occupancy of property, and that presents challenges in itself. And those are the challenges that we'll work on for the next few years. It's all Corey Venable. It's all his deal. We're just real estate holders and giving people opportunities at what we think are safe risks and just great community enhancers. In banking, I've always had the attitude, I learned this from Norton, Kansas, that you can't have a great bank if you don't have a great community. So the better you make your community, the better bank you're going to have. There's nobody that says, I've got a great bank. I'm just in a really lousy community. Those two don't go hand in hand. It's the bank's job to put money back into the local economy where they get their deposits. And business out of Baldwin City, we should reinvest in Baldwin City. And that's what we do. I think you need to write a book. Have you thought about that? Just as I'm trying to listen at the same time as take notes, there's a book here. What other things do you feel like? I always leave a little bit of space for some things that you feel like it's important to share with our listeners that I may not know to think to ask. Anybody who really wants to be an entrepreneur It does sound fun and exciting. And I would just say, I totally support it. But I also say, be totally prepared and committed. 
It's nothing that you can be 80% committed to. Once you take that step, or even before, make sure that you're 110% committed and make sure that you want to be the best. I don't like to hire average people. I like to hire the best people. And I like to take people and train them up to be the best. If you're an entrepreneur and you're going to compete in a worldwide market, you have to be the best. You have to constantly be training yourself and re-educating yourself. You have to learn your industry inside and out and give people reasons to do business. In our business, when it comes to mortgage lending as our primary banking business, we close a lot of real estate loans and that's just what we do. Anyway, I always tell people it's all about people, process, products, and pricing. I think that applies to a lot of businesses. And the people aspect is you and your staff. It's just constant training. We have about 58 people in our four bank network. It's just constant training, constant driving the points, constantly talking about customer service. And again, the process has to be good. The people have to be great. The products have to be great. The pricing has to be fair and competitive and got to make money to stay in business. I think that's really important. I feel slight guilt that I probably worked a lot more hours my first 10 years and you never measure success with hours of work, but you do have to be very committed. And I will just say that in our business, living in a bedroom community, we do the bulk of our customer transactions from about four in the afternoon to six, maybe seven o'clock at night. I've always worked till at least six. And a lot of times in my first 10 years, eight o'clock, nine o'clock at night, meeting with people. You take care of people when they want something. And when they want something is typically when they're off work. If you said, hey, take off work, come see me at three o'clock. Some people can do that. Some people can't. But typically coming back to a bedroom community, they can always meet with you at five, six, seven. By the way, I still work every Saturday, half a day, unless I go out of town. So sure, I go out of town. If I'm staying in Baldwin City, I'll be at the bank from nine to noon. It's just what I do. And I call it steady hall. And they're working on what I got to do. Sure, occasionally I'll have two or three customers come in, but it's just the commitment that we make to taking care of our customers' needs. This has really been awesome. And unfortunately, we will run out of time. I almost wish we'd have had two sessions scheduled. My cup is just about empty, and I know you're busy. But before you go, what does a future look like? What would you like to see happen in Kansas or the nation, really, that would improve the entrepreneurial ecosystem and further support entrepreneurs? That's a great question. I have a couple thoughts on it. First thing I think of is, obviously, in a perfect world, Everybody would get financial literacy and be taught how to save money. In a perfect world, they would learn that at home. We know it's not a perfect world. That is what I experienced. My parents were very good at those things, very good at learning finance and knowing how to save money, make money and save money. That's what my parents really taught us. They were very good at it themselves. Very few school administrators, teachers end up being multimillionaires that grew up the way my parents did, but they did. And they were very successful, but they taught it and we lived it. And I would just say that, again, since not everybody's going to get that at home, we really have to have it in our schools and education. It needs to be in junior high school, college, we have to have our personal finances in line and understood before you can go to the next level of entrepreneurship or highly successful businesses. I would like to see a lot more education on that and required education because everybody needs personal finance. Everybody's going to live it. 
And I see people that have really easy lives financially, and I see people that have really challenged lives financially. And a lot of it is just lack of understanding and education. So that is something that I love working on, is educating people on it. We put a lot of effort as a bank into doing that. And the second thing is learning how to save money. And I don't care what instrument you use to save money, but I don't personally want to depend. I think it's great that we have a lot of economic development programs, but I don't want that to determine if I'm going to be an entrepreneur or not. The real responsibility falls back to you personally. If you're committed that this is what you want to do, you have to be responsible to yourself to financially put yourself in position. 1995, I took on zero debt when I went into business. That was intentional. I didn't really need an economic development program to enhance my success or future. I wanted no debt. But I realized there's a difference and some people are willing to embrace the debt. And please understand there's good debt, bad debt. Please understand that good debt. I've never been afraid to take on good debt. And I still do. There's those two things. But bottom line, the two things that I guess I'll summarize with that I'd like to see statewide, nationally, is more education about personal and entrepreneurship and teaching people to really save money so that they can really make their dreams come true. And really what that is, it's called financial discipline. It really doesn't matter how much you make, it's what you do with your money. I know people that make 50000 a year that save money, and I know people that make 300000 a year that can't save money. And it's all about personal decision. Bottom line, financial discipline and learning finances. That's amazing. This is very good advice for everyone. Dave, thank you again. It's been wonderful having you as a guest and learning from you. I have one final question that I ask all of our guests. If you had one single piece of advice for entrepreneurs, especially young entrepreneurs, what would it be? I probably have already said it, but bottom line, it's just be 100% committed towards your business and never quit thinking about it and always be a learner and challenging yourself to be the best you can be. That is all important to me. Perfect. That is great advice. Thank you so much. And thank you to our listeners for joining us and for all that you do in your rural communities to make the world a better place. We want you to join us again next month as we continue to encourage one another on our entrepreneurial journey over coffee. How would people connect with you? The easiest thing would be just an email. A real simple email would be awesome if they ever want to get a hold of me. Email is dhill at mid-americabank.com. That would be totally awesome. I'd love to hear from you if you have ideas or thoughts that you want me to help vent out with you, so to speak. I do love to work with entrepreneurs. I just think it's the greatest thing. It's life-changing and so forth. And I'll just say this. When I do this with Douglas County, the people on our board know that I don't normally bring packages to our e-community board unless they're really good and chance of success. The reason for that is I also know what failure looks like. And it's so mentally stressful for that person. As a bank, we typically come out because we know how to position ourselves to come out. We take clad roller, we have this or that or guarantees, whatever it is. So I don't really fear for the bank, but I know that success and failure, success is easy to accept. Failure is really tough. The key is position yourself for success. And the best way to do that is have a great product 
and know your product in and out and never quit working it. That is wonderful advice. And I do hope some people reach out to you. Initially, I was thinking someone from the educational community about how to get more of this financial literacy into the school systems. But honestly, I think you'd be a wealth of advice for anyone who would reach out. And I look forward to coming to Baldwin City and going to some of those places that you've breathed new life into. Thank you again so much. We so appreciate you being on the podcast with us today. It was truly a pleasure and I enjoyed every minute of it. You had some great questions, so thank you. 